So hello everyone and welcome to another installment of Visionary Objet d'Art. We are a sister channel to the ever excellent Crank Playthings. You can check them out as well as many other super radical podcasts and shows over at 8k.nz. And today with me I have a very, very special guest who I'm... Yeah, uh, we've already done this recording, but this this we already tried it to do this recording anyways. But uh, the the magic is not lost on me. I'm still a little uh, a little nervous about it. But today I have with me Mr. Owen Ashworth of Advanced Base. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Right on. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think uh, I think you're easily one of the most uh, anticipated guests that I've ever had on my show, and I'm. Uh, I apologize if I ramble just just a little bit. I'm a, I don't want to say starstruck, but there's no real other other word. I'm I'm just excited you're here. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, oh, appreciate you having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I I tend to start the show off, and I'm sure everyone uh, would would kind of like a, your version of it. But why don't you give us a uh, a bit of a brief history of uh, the music of Owen Ashworth, whether that kind of Starts with uh, Cassie Tone, or if that goes uh, even before that, and where it uh, where it kind of all began. Sure. Yeah. My name is Owen Ashworth. I live in Chicago, Illinois. I'm uh, 40 years old. I've been making music for about half of my life. Um, at least, you know, music that I shared with people. Uh, I, I think I played my first show in December of 1997 as a uh, Cassie Tone for the Painful Loan, which was. Um, like a synthesizer based, uh, like pop music, like very lo-fi pop music project that I did for 13 years. Um, but started, basically started writing and performing and recording and playing music in front of people kind of all at once. So like the early music I did was like super rough with like very minimal equipment, like little battery powered keyboards. Um, and kind of learned how to write and record and perform in tandem. Um, I did Cassie Tone for the Painful Loan for about for 13 years. I, 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 I had kind of designed the project to have a kind of a finite term. And uh, um, after the last record, which was called Versus Children, uh, I ended Cassie Tone in 2010 and... Uh, these days, I make music under the name Advanced Bass, uh, which is music. It's it's not too fundamentally different than what Cassio Tone was, but maybe um, a little higher production value or like a uh, more consistent musicianship. Or you know, I'm certainly a less nervous live performer than I was when I first started playing in front of people when I was I was 20. But yeah, I just feel it, everything I've done has kind of felt like an evolution. Um, and I think I still have a long way to go with it, but yeah, 20 years in. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody listening and everyone who's a fan is, is going to be interested to, uh, to see how that goes for, uh, for another 20 years. I would, I would certainly hope anyhow. I, the older I get, the more I appreciate and admire, you know, people well into their careers and, you know, seeing like, you know, senior citizens and elderly people continue to be creative has been more and more inspiring to me kind of the older I've gotten. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I find, I'm even, I'm, I'm quite a bit younger than you, but I still do find a lot of, uh, a lot of inspiration in the same, in the same sense. I mean, my, uh, my Bob and Guido, my Ukrainian grandparents, <clears throat> I mean, my, my Guido, he's, he's 87. I mean, the man, the man's seen it all. I mean, he, you know, he was a firefighter for, you know, 40 years and just, just seeing, the accumulation of of his entire life and how he just kind of even when I come over to his house now and how he just he sits there and he's just so happy genuinely happy to see me and he just wants to know what's going on and I I, I know he's he's seen like I said everything but it's it's so interesting to see how refined people come sort of at at the end of all that. Yeah, but I've I have a very close relationship with my um, grandpa Bach, who is a musician and played music up until the end of his life. And uh, yeah, just God, just such a fascinating guy. I just <laughs> he had a lot of adventures over the course of ninety years, and uh, 
no, yeah, I feel like the older I get, the kind of the more I, I appreciate the people, you know, who have lived more and experienced more than I have. Which I think will in turn make you a very interesting and respected uh, old guy. <laughs> we'll see, yeah. Um, but I guess we could kind of turn this a bit on uh, – we could kind of flip this and we can kind of start from – I guess from the beginning, because everything musically for you started with Cassie Tone for the Painfully Alone, and my uh, my first experience with Cassie Tone or any any sort of Owen Ashworth music actually was Cassie Tone for the Painfully Alone, and it was a few years ago, and I was in Calgary with a friend of mine, and we were in a record store, and I was I was looking around, you know, trying to find some new stuff and found a bunch of other things I wanted and he comes up to me with this record and he goes, he goes, you have to buy this record. I said, well, I, I don't know what this is. Like I, I'm not made of money. Like I've already got this, this pile of stuff. Like what, what? And I, and I looked at it and it just looked like a, a weird sort of photograph on the front. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know what this is, man. Like get this away from me. And he says, he says, no, no, you have to buy this record. You need this record. If you don't buy it, I will buy it for you. I said, all right, fine, buy it for me. And he bought it for me. And it was, it cast you tone for the painfully alone record with only two songs on it. And it was the two Bruce Springsteen covers. And I did not know that that's what the two songs were on it or who Cassia tone was. And I turned on that, uh, I turned on that record and I was, I was absolutely blown away by those covers. I was, I was so stoked to have it. And yeah, it's, it's still to my, to this day, one of my favorite records of yours. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really funny. That was the first stuff that you heard. Um, that was originally going to be a seven-inch release. Um, my my brother Gordon, who I made that record with, who was at the time was making music under the name of Concern, um, uh, had been kind of look, trying to find a way to collaborate on something because you know we both make music solo, um, but the, these Bruce Springsteen songs that we kind of grew up having in the house seemed like a, a nice common ground to work on something like uh so we were, we were yeah we recovered recovered borns in the usa and streets of philadelphia um yeah it was going to be a seven inch originally but it was released on a label called people in the position to know and uh the guy who runs that label mike dixon is a real uh um innovator in the vinyl format he's uh he does a lot of like work with like lathe cuts it's kind of really bizarrely shaped records and which yeah it was his idea to release that record is it's like a it's a square one-sided eight inch record yeah and you know yeah it was only a thousand press i think and i've got the brown marble version so whenever whenever anyone sees my uh my record collection i tell them about you know, like how vinyls can look different in terms of color and shape. I, I'll, I'll show them that one. That's like my go-to like That's hook a record. For sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but what I found really interesting about that being my first foray into your music, and I, I did kind of mean to make it a bit of a talking point to see what you kind of thought of this this statement itself. But and maybe it was a little biased because that was the first record um, of yours that I'd ever heard. But what do you what do you make of the idea that you have a very, in my eyes, a very similar writing style and almost a very similar execution uh, in terms of songwriting uh, to Bruce Springsteen? Um, you know, with these very uh, narrative driven tracks, these very. Uh, very imagery not i don't want to say imagery laden but they're they're very good at speaking directly to a specific situation and and sort of bringing you right there and the emotions that sort of come with that feeling are almost left to you but it's almost impossible to escape that uh the emotions that these these narrative driven tracks sort of sort of bring on you what uh would you say that's accurate or is that intentional or that's super flattering. I mean, I think Bruce Springsteen is, is uh, definitely one of my favorite songwriters and someone who has influenced me me a great deal. Um, uh, 
the album Nebraska in particular. I bought, remember buying a used cassette around the year 2000 or so. Um, and uh, it's, it, was, it just lived in my car for, for years. Um, just how kind of direct and simple the presentation is of, you know, just the guitar, maybe a little harmonica uh, and, and vocals. They're just like the lyrics are so strong and the stories are, are so... They're so tight, and there's just like no wasted language, and it's 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 so direct that man, I mean, that was a really huge influence on the way I wanted to write songs. Um, and I remember reading an interview with Bruce Springsteen where he talked about Flannery O'Connor, the the Southern Gothic um, short story writer and novelist. Um, how her writing was a really big influence on that record, and she was a favorite of mine too, and. <laughs> it was really inspiring to see the connection between like literature and her stories, which I really admired and the way Bruce Springsteen was kind of distilling that kind of narrative voice into just, you know, a three or four minute folk song. So that, I mean, that, that was a, a really big deal to me and, and really kind of helped direct um, the kind of music I wanted to make something that just felt, that kind of personal and kind of hypnotizing, like you hear the first couple lines of a song and you just need to know where the story is going to go. But yeah, Bruce Springsteen is so good at that. Uh, And something about his writing in particular, the way he writes melodies reminds me a lot of Stephen Merritt from the magnetic fields. I think there are, Bruce Springsteen songs that sound like magnetic field songs and magnetic field songs that sound like Bruce Springsteen songs. And that's like my, something about that kind of center of the Venn diagram is like my favorite kind of music. I think they're both really influenced by like Phil Spector, Wall of Sound, like really classic pop structure, but with this uh, just like really dense kind of lyrical voice, uh, just they, I mean, I think they're both so influenced by uh, literature and and just kind of, you know, uh, Americana music. I, uh, I I'd have to say that I agree, and I I, I find it's interesting that um, quite a few, uh, at least a few of the people that I've talked to, um, artists or just other music fans in general, um, people who are really big Bruce Springsteen fans, they really do tend to really point to Nebraska as sort of the – I don't want to say proof proof of his chops because I don't really think that's fair to say. I think everything he does is sort of that proof. But I think Nebraska is in its own way his – him being boiled down to his very, very simplest form. And I think that um, – I would, I would think you included as well as another artist I interviewed – on my show, he goes by the name 3900 or 3900. But I think that for people uh, like the two of you guys, maybe that that sort of stripping back all that um, all that extra flair and instrumentation, really bringing it down to that lo-fi, intimate sound and intimate setting, you know, with just the four track recorder that he used to make that album. I think that sort of influences you guys more so and also um, just does – I think it does give a more intimate listening experience as well and the, the tracks feel closer to you in a way. Yeah, I, I've, I don't think I have a very sophisticated ear for music and I think I can only kind of digest a few ideas at a time. So when songs are kind of at their simplest is when – I, I connect with them most easily. Um, my friend Nick Kurgovich, who's a, a songwriter in Vancouver, um, he's a really good friend of mine and a really super talented musician and a much more kind of sophisticated uh, uh, listener of music than, than I am. We were writing in his car once and he was playing me like a later Joni Mitchell record. And he's like, how do you like this? And I was like, it's just, it's too it's too much music for me to really <laughs> enjoy it. And he was just like, yeah, you don't like, you like music, but you don't like too much music, do you? And I was like, yeah, I think, I think you're, I think that's kind of a fundamental difference between 
like the way he makes music, which is, I mean, knows a ton about musical theory and just really accomplished. Um, I mean, I'm self-taught and the way I write songs is I'm kind of playing at the best of my ability whenever I'm playing one of my songs. I mean, I have a very kind of utilitarian uh, relationship with the instruments I play. And I think in a way, and I've, I've, I've been on record in saying this before, but I really do find that um, in that sense, when a, when an artist really understands, um, you know, they, they don't try to overplay themselves, I guess. Like, that's not really the best way to put it maybe, but I think that when they're not scared of just going at music and approaching it the way that they know they need to, whether that be – you know, the simplest forms possible or in terms of uh, a lot of noise musicians that I've had on the show and that I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, literally no musical training whatsoever or any desire to uh, to go forward with music uh, as it were. But I think boiling it down and being honest with how you connect and how you write and perform and how you need to express yourself is is what really does make for the best music i find i i don't i can't say that it's the best but it's certainly the what i appreciate i have the best appreciation for yeah i mean i don't know it takes all kinds but i i like that i kind of tend to prefer the more direct simple stuff and that's and that's fair so uh before we kind of They'll move on just uh, just a little bit here. I am gonna have to slap you with the question. I'm gonna need your top three uh, Springsteen tracks, but you can't pick the ones from that that eight inch. Those can't be on there. Oh, oh, top three Bruce Springsteen songs. Yeah, but they can't be Born um, in the USA or Streets of Philadelphia. I think my very favorite might be Stolen Car from the River. Mm. Um. Uh. Boy, top three Bruce Springsteen songs. Um, now I feel kind of bad for I throwing tend to, the spot I, right in the middle of this. Oh, it's all right. No, I kind of tend to prefer the ballads. I think there's there are two songs in the breast. There's Highway Patrolman and State Trooper. I think Highway Patrolman is the story of like the two brothers. And one's like a crook and the other one's a Yeah, cop. yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, that I think that's probably my favorite song from my favorite Bruce Springsteen record. I like, I like that song an awful lot. And there's um, one that I've been really obsessed with lately that I don't even think it's one of the best, but I just I have a real fondness for this song called, uh, I think it's called Gave It a Name. And it was like an outtake or a B-side, I think, that ended up on the, prom, a prom, the Promise or one of those kind of like rarities collections. And I first heard it in an HBO miniseries called uh, "Show Me a Hero." It was kind of used as the th- like theme music in one of the early episodes, and I had to go find it. I, did, I had never heard it before, but it's it's a really simple song. It kind of has an unfinished quality to it. But did, did that song not um, uh, also appear on the uh, the tracks uh, like that four CD compilation? Oh, that's what it's on. That's. That's the one that's on. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's, the that's one. what I was thinking. Yeah. My my dad has that, that and he lent it to me, and I'm I've been obsessed with those uh, those ones for years because yeah, those aren't really the the breakout hits, but they're uh, there's gold in those tracks for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of the spare, like you know, kind of more haunted ballady kind of songs are kind of my favorites of his. Yeah. I, I think I definitely have to agree. Um, so I did have another point that I wanted to, uh, kind of touch on and it. it <laughs> I will say full disclosure, most of this conversation and most of the notes that I have are more so like things that I personally wonder about and I'm not, like overly concerned about like the best episode, but they're just stuff that I'm just excited to know about for sure. Um, but I did, I did kind of, I noticed uh, something here and it, I, I did want to know if it was sort of a, uh, a conscious decision or if it was just how, uh, how things evolved. But between the first two uh, Cassia tone records with answering machine music and, pocket symphonies and then moving on 
between those two records and then moving on to uh, Twinkle Echo, Etiquette, and the uh, the last one, uh, Verse Children from 09, if I'm right. Yeah. Um, between those, the first two and the final three uh, records, there, there is this sort of uh, this jump in the album artwork in uh, in the aesthetic. You know, the first two being, um, you know, these sort of just simple line drawings. They're kind of scratchy. They almost remind me of uh, like Beat Happening artwork or something. Um, and then moving into Twinkle Echo, Etiquette, and First Children, they're these sort of more stylized um almost portraits and almost paintings of a kind was it was it a conscious decision to start the album artwork this way to show almost a divide between these albums because there there i think there is a bit of a a change in the music in those when the album artwork changes as well so i just kind of wanted to know if that was a uh, a conscious decision or what it was no it wasn't anything i kind of planned to do from the beginning the first couple like the first seven inch and like the first like handful of tapes and then those first two albums were just uh the 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 art was just taken from like hand-drawn tape covers of like the early versions of the record like i would dub songs for friends or um you know with my early shows i was i would just dub singles um, I had a friend who did like some promotional work for a record label and had somehow ended up with just like hundreds of identical singles. And uh, he's like, I don't have anything to do with these. This record came out like a year ago. They're not really doing any good for anyone. Do you want them? So I would just dub over these tapes and, you know, I'd make, you know, 20 tapes to sell at a show. And sometimes I would just r- literally play the same song. 20 times and record a different performance for every tape and just either give them away or sell them for a couple bucks at the shows. And the tape, I would just, you know, hand draw the covers. So that's what the first few album covers were. Those are just, um, either I, you know, made a Xerox or I did a scan of one of those original tape covers and that, that became the front of the CD or the vinyl. Um, that's, that, that's super interesting that all those, all those first, uh, all those first run tapes and all those tapes from the shows were actually technically separate performances in themselves. Until I, you know, got access to a four track and could start dubbing from, you know, masters. That's kind of, that was how I did it. Um, but, uh, I had a, I had just made a, a little, another hand drawn cover for the third album, Twinkle Echo. And, um, I was planning on using that, but, I was at a friend's apartment. My friend Aline had just recently had a birthday, and a coworker of hers, this woman named Heidi Anderson, had made Aline up this painting that was this twelve-inch square. Um, and it was just this. It was of a girl. It seemed like a young girl, like breathing, like exhaling on a cold day. And there's this kind of this cloud coming from her mouth that kind of looks like a word bubble, and also kind of looks like this like noxious toxin or something. Um, but it was a 12 inch square. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that looks like a record cover. And I kind of found myself staring at the, pa- I was just staring at the painting all night. And I was, I asked, I was like, do you think Heidi would let me use that for a record cover? I love it. And so, um, I went to the coffee shop where Aline and Heidi worked and I introduced myself and I gave Heidi a tape of the album. I was like, how would you feel about me using that painting? He's like, well, I guess you should ask Colleen because she—it's her painting now. I gave it to her for a birthday present, but I became friends with Heidi, and um, I was so pleased with how the, the 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 painting looked on the front of the record that I I asked Heidi to paint the covers for the following two albums, also. So it's the same artist. So I, yeah, that was actually that was I had that next up in uh, in my list because I I, I would. I would have suspected just by looking at those album covers that the same, uh, the same artist had did them. But I was, I was curious to see or curious to ask uh, who it was that did it. Yeah. Heidi Anderson is name. She lives in Los Angeles and she's, she's, she still paints, but she's mostly doing work with like sculpture and ceramics now and making these really beautiful kind of abstract figures. Um, But yeah, so the first cover was a pre-existing painting that she made for, our mutual friend's birthday. And then I, 
I had a dream while I was still kind of writing and recording etiquette. I had a dream that the record leaked and uh, it was, this is kind of in the days when leaking was a fear that people had of music. I feel like it's <laughs> not really as much of an issue anymore because nobody buys music anyway. So there's not the same fear of leaking that there used to be. Yeah. But uh, I had a dream that it like leaked online and, the record at that point, I hadn't had a, I didn't have a title, I didn't have a cover, and only like half the songs were written. Um, but this record was online, and there's, I saw, the record, I saw it on some website, and it was called Etiquette, and there was the track listing, and there was the cover, and so, I woke up and I emailed Heidi, and I said I had this dream that this this record is called Etiquette, and the cover was this. It looked like a girl having a tea party with a an alligator, and the girl was a ghost, and the alligator was smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. Um, would you want to try to paint that? <laughs> and she's like, all right. And so maybe a month later, she she brought the painting over, and I was like, oh, it looked like the dream. Um, so I was like, great. That's the cover of the record, and I, get, and I have a title too. Um, I, I think maybe Heidi was just using you – she subliminally messaged that idea of the painting into you. And when she, when you saw it and thought that you wanted it, then she was like, okay, it's good to paint now. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe guinea pig on. Like in, inception. Technology. Yeah. She, she dream jumped you, dude. I think that's what happened. Maybe. Yeah. And so when I, and then I also commissioned the cover for versus children, but at that point I, I, I knew what I wanted to call it. And, and I, I asked Heidi to watch the movie uh, Bonnie and Clyde with Faye Dunaway, and I was like, "Would you want to try to paint or paint Faye Dunaway pregnant, but it's still Bonnie and Clyde?" And she's like, "She's knitting," and she's like, "Okay." <laughs> so she was she was a real sport. I was I think she kind of enjoyed having such a, like a specific um, uh, challenge. Uh, but yeah, I thought she did. I love those covers so much, and um, I couldn't afford to buy them. Someone, someone in Boston owns those paintings. Um, oh. But I mean, oh, no. I paid I paid Heidi for use of them, but I couldn't afford the actual paintings themselves. Well, but, I think uh, I think in that way they sort of live on in in their own infamy, which is good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely wanted to know that because I, I, I do. I I'm a huge fan of those covers. I love them as well, and. I just I just know they were such a aesthetic departure from the first two, and I kind of just was was curious to know what uh, what marked that. So I'm I'm glad. I'm, I'm, yeah, it wasn't anything terribly like preconceived. Just you know, I drew them until a better option <laughs> came around, and then once Heidi was into the idea that I I was just so taken by her style that I just stuck with it. I kind of like that she was kind of the representing the visual side of the music well when she started dream dropping you i'm sure you were a huge fan yeah <laughs> um so also kind of talking about how uh cassia tone started trans uh started changing uh near the the end of its inception in uh 2010 um i think it was a marked difference especially in etiquette that uh, quite a few of the songs uh, while they didn't really depart in any sort of way in how they were written, or maybe not even in the way they were performed, but just um, j just in the way that almost a, a full organic band was sort of was sort of put behind these tracks. Um, like I said, to me, it, it didn't quite change how they were written. They still had the same um, strength and simplicity that uh, the other albums did, but they had this more. Uh, organic and sort of fleshed out feel um, behind behind them, uh, beginning with with etiquette. So, w when that started happening, was that maybe when you started realizing that this was becoming something new? And is that maybe what sparked the uh, the transition to to end Cassie Tone and begin Advanced Space? Um, well, I you know started Cassie Tone as about twenty year old and. The music was all based around um, these battery-powered keyboards and like the preset, uh, like drum beats and and you know just the, the sounds that came built into the keyboard. And it, it never occurred to me that it was something that should go on forever. And it 
there was a point where I kind of ran out of beats. Like I, I used all the beats I liked and, uh, <laughs> all, all the numbers have been pressed on the keyboard. Yeah. I did, and you know, I, I, I liked writing songs, but I was like, you know, I, I kind of got bored playing, just playing with just those, all of the Casios and Yamaha and Radio Shack keyboard. So I kind of planned Twinkle Echo as like the third and final. It felt like a nice trilogy. And um, at that point, I wanted to try different stuff. Like I bought like a real drum machine and um, some just some started to use some more expensive equipment. And also a lot of those, I broke a lot of those keyboards just touring. Um, most of the original instruments and equipment I was using was, you know, with their mostly secondhand in the first place. And by the time I got my hands on them, so they weren't in the best shape and I, you know, ended up breaking a lot of keyboards and it, it there's a point where I, I was on my third or fourth SK one. I was like, how many SK ones am I going to buy? Is it time to upgrade to maybe some more like stable <laughs> equipment? Um, well, and it's not like those things were really built to last. It's not like they were trainer amps where they would toss them out of the six-story window when they were done. They were no, kind of just yeah. plastic. Um, so, you know, I, Twinkle Echo, I was very proud of. But at that point, I was like, I don't want to. I was this also, I just have a really negative reaction to the sound of a lot of those preset beats at this point. I mean, I spent so much time with them. And I used the ones I liked, and and either I liked them, and I at this point heard them so many times that I was sick of them, or I never liked them in the first place. So I have a really negative reaction to hearing a lot of those old like Casio beats at this point. So I wanted, I just I needed to do something else. I wasn't inspired by those sounds anymore. So etiquette I had kind of conceived as being kind of a new thing, and was talked out of changing the name by the label that was releasing my records and a lot of my friends were like hey, why you know people know the name it's a catchy name like why would you want to start all over again so even though i kind of considered the next record that etiquette record to be kind of a different direction as i decided to stay with the name and i kind of got like a perverse joy out of dismantling like just the very basic aesthetics of what Cassie Tone had started with. So it's like, I'm just, I'm going to try to break all the rules that I established on the first few records. Um, so et- etiquette was kind of that curveball yeah. for yourself and everyone else. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I roped in a lot of friends. I had a couple other friends sing the songs instead of me and just use a lot of different kinds of instrumentation it was exciting. I mean, I think when I started writing songs, I didn't have much confidence that the songs were worth being, you know, well recorded or, you know, worth the time of other musicians. So by the time I made Etiquette, I had more confidence in the material and kind of, you know, started to be a little more ambitious with the arrangements and just wanted to try out different stuff. I, I feel like I also, I, I also get the feeling too that maybe uh, at that point, by the time you had gotten to Etiquette, and especially hearing the way you talk about it now, maybe by the time you got to etiquette, you were, like you said, you you were more comfortable and you were almost itching to sort of grow it in a way where, in a, in a way that those, the Casios just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. And you had these ideas and these feelings that would, would sound the way they're supposed to with that full instrumentation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I and I don't, I don't mean to, to, to talk shit on Cassio's either. I mean, I feel like I'm, I, I really liked, I was really drawn to those instruments to start with, but kind of felt like there was a point where it was getting diminishing returns, sort of reusing those same sounds and, and patterns and things. And it just seemed like it would make those records more special to leave them alone and kind of move on to another thing instead of uh, just dragging it like a dead horse, you know? So I thought it was just, I was ready to try something different and see what else I could do. And I, you know, had a little, I, you know, I, I had a little money from, uh, from all, I did a lot of touring after Twinkle Echo came out and I was, I made a little bit of money and the, the label I got, was the first time I got like a royalty payment and I had this, I had a little bit of money. I was like, I'm going to buy a drum machine. I'm going to buy a sequencer. I'm going to see what, what else I can do 
And so I'm going to see what being a real musician is like. <laughs> yeah. Or just like, a, yeah, just, you know, a, a, a non thrift store bankrolled musician. Like I was everything I had in those early years just came from like secondhand shops or, or, um, you know, a keyboard that I borrowed and never returned to my little brother. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it felt good. It, it, it was, I felt like if I kind of earned it. I, and I think that's a really good, a really good thing and a really, I don't know, a really honest way to kind of come about the, uh, the progression of, uh, of what it is that you do. Um, so moving on, I guess from that. So after, um, after, after Cassie Tone for the Painful Alone dissolved and advanced bass sort of came into the picture, uh, I'll admit I got into advanced bass uh, a lot after, um, quite a bit after I got into Cassie Tone for the Painfully Alone. And I don't know necessarily what it was. I feel like the best way to to describe it is I, I, I wasn't ready to hear something else from Owen Ashworth. I, I don't quite know why. But I was I was worried that the uh, that all these albums that I had come to to grow in love would would somehow become different or sound different if uh, if I heard new work of yours and I'm I'm not sure why I ever took that stance but that's that's kind of how it was but once I finally you know got over myself and thought to myself you know I, I obviously really love these records for for a reason and there was something that drew me to them so what what about advanced bass could possibly make that any less true or what what could his progression how could that not be a good thing and i'm i'm super glad that uh that i did do that because i i find advanced bass to the way i described it uh to a couple of my friends advanced bass was um was to me was the 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 grown up version of Cassiotone. It was the fully fleshed out and and the grown up version. Is that is that an unfair unfair assessment? I think it's definitely more grown. I think it, it just you know it sounds like the music of an older person. I think for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm done growing or like I've a- arrived at sophistication or anything. But I you know I think that it there's you can hear a progression. Um, I don't think it was as dramatic a difference as maybe I had thought it would be kind of starting over. I mean, sort of, the, well, let me say that I don't think you're alone in your trepidation, trepidation with like making the jump from Cassie time to advanced space. Way less people <laughs> listen to Cassie, uh, listen to advanced space and listen to Cassie tone, I think. And I, I, I totally understand. I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, there's, Nobody ever likes anyone's second band as much as the first one. It's, I think that's just kind of the way it goes. And uh, I think that a lot of it has to do with it's, you know, the music of your youth. And people grew up listening to Cassiotone. And a lot of people's favorite music for their whole lives tends to be the stuff that they enjoyed at, during those kind of crucial teen or you know, early 20s years. And so people who spent a lot of time listening to Cassiotone stuff, I mean, it's it's asking a lot for someone to like continue to listen to my music, you know, 15, 20 years in. So, I mean, there are people and I, and I, I, and there seem to be some of the people are different people. There are people who are into advanced space that that weren't into Cassiotone at all, or have kind of gone back and discovered some of the older stuff, but yeah, it's a smaller group of people. That's for sure. And I think that's just the nature of making music, you know, as an older person. Um, yeah, I think, I think that is, that that's kind of a progression that it'll always, uh, that it'll, it'll always take. I mean, even I was, I was in a local, um, like, I don't know, kind of punky grind Corey band, uh, a number of years ago, probably, I think we probably disbanded about six or seven years, six, five or six years ago. But, uh, during, during that time I was really, uh, you know, I was really kind of off the rails and partying a lot and, you know, pretty hectic shows and breaking stuff and what have you. And then kind of, I kind of disappeared from that scene when I kind of had to, to, to string my life back together. And it's around the same time I started making different music as well. And when I tried to, 
I don't know, not reintegrate into that scene, but when I kind of, you know, went back to some shows and kind of tried to, uh, to talk to some of my old friends and, and see some of those older people, like I'd started doing this stuff myself and, you know, kind of like you said, no one uh, really had any, any interest in it whatsoever. And we were like, well, what, what's the deal? Like, why are you, why, why did you quit drinking? Why did you, you know, why are you doing all this, this weird shit? Like, why don't you make like another, another of your first albums or like, you gotta, you gotta play this show like here, have this beer. And it's, you know, you kind of, I don't know. I don't really feel like bad uh, in a way, but it's just not the music for, uh, for where they're at, I guess. And it, it, it does bite a little bit. I would kind of, I kind of did hope some of these people would, would be into it and, you know, maybe one day they'll get there. But I think the, the, the audience that it does reach in the, the chord that it does strike in those in the hearts of those who like it is uh it is really what makes it important and what makes it special and almost crucial in a way to uh to keep going yeah i mean i am just compelled to make songs and i don't i don't know what's ever going to make me stop doing it i mean <laughs> it's just it's it's such an important part of my kind of emotional life at this point that it's i just i can't stop and whether or not there's an audience for it i think will would affect you know how much i tour and how how many records i release but i don't think i would stop writing songs i just i can't help it it's just it's a really important part of who i am um yeah and i i i i'm really proud to that i can kind of track my growth as a person through the music i've made and um it's I really appreciate the people who have stuck with it and have kind of come along for the ride with me. But you know, there are there are less of them than th- there were before. But uh I think the people who have been along for the whole thing have like such a deep relationship with it. Like I'm really touched by, you know, the people who come have come been coming to see my shows for, you know, ten, fifteen years or whatever and have had like a long going relationship with it. It's, I mean, a lot of these people, you know, I, I've, I've really come to know over the years and that it's, 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 it touches me so much when, you know, the 35th time I've come through Seattle, Washington or Portland, Oregon, you know, there are these people I, I've been, I recognize from over the years and, you know, we kind of know each other and, and know our, each other's lives. And I think, you know, that them more so than me, just cause they, they, they get the information that's coming through the music and then that, you know, they stand in the audience, listening to me talk at them for an hour or whatever. But, you know, I've developed really nice friendships with people through my music. And, uh, it's, uh, that's, it's, it's a big honor when someone kind of lets you into your, their emotional life and, you know, lets you be part of their life for such a long period of time. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I imagine, especially with uh, just given that I'm, you know, not not quite a. a <laughs> I'm trying to say this without saying you're old, but I'm just I'm I'm quite a bit younger uh, than you. <laughs> yeah. But but, uh, but yeah, and I I have to imagine that you know, especially after that much time passing, that the the people sticking by would would, would be more uh, more humbling, and you know, obviously I wasn't. I wasn't around uh, to to go to those shows, but uh, but you know, Cassiotone and you know more more in the past few recent years here, uh, Advanced Bass as well. They they have done the same thing for me uh, for me too. They they have a very a very strong and a very very set place in my in my emotional life and my just emotional development as, as a person and they, they kind of always will. And it's, it's one of those projects. Uh, there are a couple of those projects. It's, it's really the art that, uh, that really found its way to me and that it, it really speaks to me and it, it means a lot. And I think that's the, the main reason that I was so excited and, um, unbelievably humbled that you, uh, were so down to, uh, to talk to me today. Oh no, I appreciate. It. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a big honor when people kind of come along for the ride with your music. Um, 
yeah, it means a lot. I really appreciate it. I'm, uh, I am now just, uh, patiently awaiting my, uh, my advanced base shirt. So it, it should be here soon. I would think. Did you order one? Yeah, I, I did. I got the, uh, that, the blue one, that live rig one. I'm not too sure. Oh, be yeah. here. But. Well, I would be the one who would be sending it to you. So I, I, I can check on that. Well, there we go. Then <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I have the, the direct line. Yeah. It's just me. <laughs> it's all you dude. Um, so I think, uh, I, I kind of had like a, almost a, I, I guess like a final question, unless the, uh, the conversation derails in some horribly unforeseen way. Um, but I, I did kind of have like a, a last question and I, I think throughout the, the, the course of the interview, it's, it's been answered at, at least a little bit, but, uh, the question, the way I had it written out, uh, right in front of me, cause I know I would completely screw this up if I didn't write it down. Um, is, is the music and the art that you create, are they very, are they reminiscent of you as a person or does this generally morose and sometimes straight out depressing atmosphere act as an outlet to allow who you are in your day to day to become something else or to become something better? Huh? So you're talking about just the, the, the depressing aspect of it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the kind of, the morose factors. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think depression is part of my life for sure. And, uh, um, I think the tone of the music is represents my personality pretty well. I mean, I've always been kind of attracted to darker or more like melancholic music. I mean, um, that's just all. That's always the music that's spoken to me. I mean, those those super bummer Bruce Springsteen songs, or mm. uh, um, God, well, I'm trying to think what when I was really young, I was really into. I was like as a teenager, really obsessed with Edith Piaf. I would just had all these Edith Piaf records, and even you know they're on French. I didn't speak French, but uh, it was just like the just the super heavy melancholy vibe of that music was just like so hypnotizing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I don't know, it's hard to say what kind of came first, but I think I've always been kind of had kind of, you know, leaned towards the melancholic and, uh, and so I think that's the kind of music that I was attracted to. So that was the kind of music I was most interested in kind of emulating and making myself self. Cause I think it just, that's the music that I like kind of get comfort from. I mean, I, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm it's a put on when I'm making music. I'm just kind of just trying to make the kind of music that I enjoy listening to. Um, so I can't say this, it's like a character or anything that I'm trying to, I mean, the songs are a lot of them are, you know, fictional characters in the songs. And I would kind of am imagining kind of these very specific, but often made up people who are the people doing things in the songs, but it's all kind of based on, uh, real, real people or real experiences or, or just my own feelings, but, uh, you know, through kind of like, you know, the refracted prism of, of, uh, fiction. But I think I feel pretty well represented by my music for the most part. I mean, this is the kind of music I want to be hearing. I mean, it's for me more than anybody. And I think again, I think, yeah, I think again, that's what makes it, um, some some of the most special music that I I have around still to this day because you can I've always kind of said it but when when there is that sincerity when there is that direct line uh, to the person making that music there's no there's no eminence front being put on there's no uh, theatrics there's no you know whatever what have you there there's just this person and their sound and to me, you can almost pick out when that really is the case. And I've never felt anything but that with, with any of your work. And yeah, I think that's, that's what makes it special. And I think you've, uh, you've kind of really dialed in and really uh, kind of have this sort of ego death about putting yourself out there. And I think that's what makes us all, uh, all worthwhile. I appreciate it. Thanks. It's, you know, it's not music for everybody, but I think the people who it resonates with, I mean, I think there's, 
there's a lot of, of myself in that music. And I think that if, you know, if, if, if you are the kind of person who would like me, then I think you probably like the music. And I think, you know, there, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not for everybody and neither is my music and that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, my making music for the last 20 years has brought some of my favorite people into my life. And it's, it's, you know, I think the main reason for doing this is communication and just trying to express yourself and express ideas. And I feel really lucky that putting this music into the world has brought so many other super depressed, bummed out people to my door. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so, so many of my best friends came to me through, through music and that's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's, it's a really special community. So, what um do do you really th- sorry i'm i'm kind of stumbling on myself here but uh what did you think when you started or did you even really think about when you started kind of where uh where this would all end up and did you kind of see yourself you know where you where you are now did you really think it would ever kind of get to this point if you kind of just kept going or no i mean i didn't see past uh, you know, a couple years into my future with music when I started. I think I've always kind of been that way. I mean, I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that I think I'm always going to be, you know, making music for pleasure and writing songs because that's just, that's kind of, you know, I don't meditate. I don't, I don't kickbox. I think music is kind of the thing I do. That's kind of my <laughs> outlet. Um, and uh, I've just kind of come to accept that that it's just a really kind of significant part of kind of me finding the balance in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I started writing songs and, you know, just uh, you write a song and you, you think it's a good song and that's feels like a huge accomplishment. And then you wonder if you can write another, and then you wonder if you could make a whole record. And then you wonder if, you know, you can make another record even better than that last record. And I don't really have any ambitions beyond that. Just, I, I I just want to keep making music that I'm proud of. And, you know, each record I make kind of feels like a little milestone. And then you want the next one to, you want to try to do something different with the next one or try to make it a little better than the last one. And, uh, that's, that's kind of the extent of my ambition with it. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's, just about enough for uh for all the fans out there i think that's that's all they really expect and all they really uh what what they look forward to they've obviously found something they resonate with and as far as you're concerned it's not going to stop happening and for them they're just as well i think i'm there may be a point where i decide i'm i'm burnt out on sharing my music with strangers but i don't think i'm going to stop making it i you know the things that i that that I find totally unpleasant about this whole process is just like the PR and the, uh, um, you know, the promotional side of it, like ugh, the experience of releasing a record into the world and every, all the kind of hoops you have to jump through to like get it to people. And, uh, I find just like super draining, but the making the music is great. And then once people hear it and it, it's very satisfying to hear how how much it means to the people that it means something to. But um, like I'm, you know, I'm in the next couple of months, I will be finishing a record and then kind of starting the whole cycle of, um, you know, gearing up for the release and, you know, whatever promotions that happen and worrying about reviews and things like that. And that's the worst. That's just, see, it feels like the enemy of creativity. Um, but it's just, so I imagine there might be a point where I just might be making songs and maybe sharing them with some friends. And, um, cause the commerce part of it isn't fun, but you know, well, I don't think, I don't think anyone becomes a musician because they love that side of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 I, don't think like, I really hope I get to release an album and do all this press and get to check out my own reviews and stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily know if anyone goes about it that way. I don't know if I agree. I think that uh, fame and attention is, is, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's part of it for me as I, you know, I, I'm trying to make connections with people and it by making music and it feels great to see that when your music is popular, but 
just going through the rigmarole of like the press cycle and everything is is the part that just gets me down. I know, you know, I know other musicians who are much better at kind of dealing with the business side, and I I kind of envy that they're able to just jump into it. But it's just ugh, that's not that's not the fun part for me. Uh, like I said, I I don't imagine it. It really can be, but I uh, I, I do I do now eagerly kind of await what uh, what's what advanced bass kind of has coming up for us next, and I uh, I can't wait to hear it. Me too. I keep hoping I have another one of those etiquette dreams that's going to tell me what. <laughs> like I mean that have, getting that dream was such a gift. I feel like it was just like this awesome peek into my subconscious. And it just, I, you know, once you can kind of get that kind of image in your mind, like a literal image in your mind, it just kind of, it gives you an ideal to chase for. It was, I don't know how to make that happen again, but, uh, well, you got to bring Heidi back around. So. She's going to have to dream drop. You again. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it kind of looks like we're, uh, we're sort of closing in uh, to the last bit of our of our hour on the the show here. So, um, do you have anything that you kind of want to just get out there? You want to just say, or just uh, kind of any any final thoughts before we uh, before we start to wrap things up here? Yes, I will say that in addition to making my own music, I also run a record label called Arindal, which is spelled O R I N D A L. Um, and it started when I started advanced space, I kind of had the idea that I just wanted to try to be, do go as DIY as possible. And I started releasing my own albums and started my own label. And that was six, seven years ago now. And the label at this point has grown. I released some music by my brother, Gordon Ashworth. And then, um, uh, I've released records for this woman named Julie Byrne, who lives in New York now, but she used to be in Chicago. She used to be in Advanced Bass and is a old music buddy of mine. But she's she's been doing really well for herself. Um, but I, I yeah, I had the honor of releasing her first album, and I released a record for uh, Dear Nora, which is my friend Katie in Portland. And at this point, I think the there are like sixteen or fifteen different artists on the label, and I'm releasing maybe seven or eight things a year. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's kind of, that's kind of become my, uh, I don't know if day job is, it, it doesn't pay well enough to be the day job, but that's like, that's, uh, that takes up a lot of my time at this point is running the mail order and, uh, and doing the, the production side of things and like working with these different artists um, actually tomorrow is the 19th of January and Rindle is releasing an album for a singer named Greg Jamie from Portland, Maine. He, it's an album called crazy time that I think is so awesome. And I'm really excited for it to be out. Actually, as soon as we finish this interview, I have to go send out a bunch of pre-orders and, uh, and, uh, get everything ready for the big release date tomorrow. All right. Well, yeah. Check out a Rindle, Rindle records at, uh, rindlerecords.bandcamp.com and also just rindle.com which is O-R-I-N-D-A-L and there's a free sampler for the label that's on the Bandcamp page which has some like kind of rare Cassie Tone and advanced based stuff in addition to music from the other artists on the label alright everyone you heard it you heard it here get get down get down with the rindle get on that site discover some some new wonderful music and uh, just yeah just get into it um so I now I kind of feel bad for having like one more final point before I close out. If you're gonna gonna be doing I'll that, go for um, it. just I don't know. Maybe just as like a little a little bonus like question here, just as we're wrapping up. What is what is one thing uh, about you that I that you think would surprise people to know about you? Oh, I have no idea what's surprising about me. I don't know. Oh Jesus Christ! I don't know. Um, <laughs> hey man, uh, you don't. You, if if you don't think anything, you don't got to answer. It's all good. Um, God, what's I don't, I don't know. I hate flying. <laughs> <laughs> I love to drive my car. Uh, I have to be in Los Angeles in a few weeks, and my my brother is sternly trying to talk me out of driving three days each way instead of just getting on a plane because. 
I, I hate, hate flying. I don't know what's in, I don't know I don't know I don't know what surprises me about I, it's, a, it's such a good question. I'm always surprised <laughs> by the things that come out of my mouth that either delight or totally put people off. So it's it's hard to say. I love Just, westerns. I love west uh, I love western movies. How's that? That's yeah, that's perfect. There you go. Owen Ashworth is a fan of of, of the westerns. And if, yes. if if they t- if nobody if people didn't take anything from this interview, that's what they're going to take. They're going to listen to you and think this guy likes western movies. Let's check out some westerns. Yeah, there was. Uh, you know what? I don't. I can't quite remember the name of it. I'm sure it'll come to me. But uh, somebody posted this this album. Oh, I really wish I could remember what the name of it was, but it was it was this album, and it was like a, a mixture, a concoction. And it was like the halfway point between like lo-fi black metal and spaghetti Western themes. And it was mm, actually not like cheesy and terrible. It was actually pretty wonderful, but I cannot remember the name of it right now. I'd be curious to hear what that sounds like. It, so two things I like. It's black metal and Westerns. Yeah. <laughs> Well then, there you go. We're just gonna have to uh, have to figure out what this is. I know I have it. Well, yeah, email me. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to send you something when I think of it. But uh, but yeah, I think with that we um, we've kind of reached the the end of our hour here. But I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And again, I would absolutely love to thank uh, thank Owen again for for taking the time to come on the show and. Uh, kind of just fulfill this for me. I've, I've had a great time and I've learned a lot and I think everyone, I think everyone is going to, going to really like listen to uh, hear what you have to say about all this. Well, I hope so. I hope this has been interesting, (laughs) but yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So again, for uh, everyone who might not have already done it, uh, please go check out Arindal records, either O R I ndal.com or arindal.bandcamp.com oh it's arindalrecords.bandcamp.com arindalrecords sorry i i forgot. somebody snaked me to arindal.bandcamp.com oh no there's going to be some band who's benefiting off of my errors <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah again uh, i want to thank you for coming on oh my god i remember the name of it it's called grave trails grave that yeah that sounds like um a good name for what you described. I'll check it out. Yeah, the, the name of the album is Grave Trails. I'm sorry, I had to jump back to that. Sure, I'll <laughs> check it out. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, for listening. And again, a big thank you to uh, to Owen for for coming on and spending the time. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Somewhere new, somewhere far away from here, I just feel are you lonesome? Sitting in the spotlight, a standing ovation every night. Does it occur to you that something isn't right? When you're kissing someone new, but you know that your heart's not through. 
the last word you say to yourself this'll do Cause you can hide in the cinema Got the money to spend But the movies always end And then it's your life again And you can practice all day long Till the notes are perfect But your heart's all wrong Calloused fingers will make you strong this one.